1: requires high-speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. So after the defeat to Crystal Palace off the back of the League Cup exits of West Ham, I must admit that in the back of my mind, I was starting to get a little bit worried about this season. So it's amazing what a dominant showing in the Manchester derby and both Liverpool and Chelsea dropping points over a weekend can do for your mood, isn't it? Welcome to Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney and he may be off work because of a poorly shoulder right now, but we can't keep him away from talking about a United disaster class, can we? It's The Athletic City (laughs) correspondent, Sam Lee. Hiya, Sam.
0: Hello. Uh, yeah, sorry um, the podcast is a bit later than most people were expecting, but it took me ages to come up with a list of negatives to get <laughs> into. So, But we've got them sorted now, so Excellent. we'll be picking those apart, don't you worry, over the next three hours.
1: We can do that indeed. Uh, how is the shoulder?
0: Yeah, it's all right. Like, yeah, so I had surgery, long-standing problem. It kept dislocating. Um, it's a lot more stable now. It doesn't actually hurt that much. I'm just in a sling for three weeks, so yeah, it's fine. It was actually quite nice to watch the Watched the united game in the weekend with you know no 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 stress no no work obligations didn't have to <laughs> not have to put Leo to bed uh, yeah it was, it was interesting it was it, yeah i'm quite looking forward to it actually
1: excellent will have you will have you try and chip against the goalkeeper from the halfway line again in no time mate no worries wait. about that I can't wait for that um, if you sign up for the athletic right now you can read all the sam stuff on city when he's back uh, and if you sign up you'll get 33% off the price of a full subscription just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod um, so Sam obviously watching the derby without your um, obligations to work did that I mean I don't know if that helped you uh, kind of see it in a bit more focus or not but uh, City good United bad mix of both what do you reckon
0: huh. well, I mean, it's funny because obviously I, I saw this on the plan and I instinctively was like well City were amazing and obviously City were amazing but I remember back to the, the Chelsea game when City were obviously amazing then as well. But one thing I said, I was like, well, a big part of it was that Chelsea were very defensive, weren't they? And they didn't give themselves much of a chance. But that said, City absolutely swamped them. Um, and I suppose it, as good as City were at the weekend and like just a class apart, I was trying to think of the best, the best analogy for it. And at full time, I tweeted that it was like a a cup game against a lower league team. I don't think it was because City and Guardiola clearly, because you said it a lot afterwards, but clearly you could tell by how the game went. He still thought, well, if we open up here and go for more goals, they're going to get us on the break. Yeah. So there was still that respect. You know, if it wasn't like playing Rotherham or Birmingham at home when you get, um, you know, Lucas Nemetra on for 20 minutes. It was like, okay, we, we've still got to do this properly. So it added a bit of a unique feel to the game because of the golf. So I think probably the best way to explain it of all the different ones like you know from another planet and leagues apart or whatever it was like United had ten or maybe even nine men, wasn't it yeah like from from the very start um but yeah, I mean united were terrible, they are terrible um and just like i I tweeted a tactical breakdown yesterday um that somebody had done for medium. He's he's a he's a good guy, good lad, Ahmed, um, and he he breaks this stuff down really easily. And it's like with games like this, where you, if this was anyone else, you could just go, "Oh yeah, well they've spent this money, they've spent that money." It's purely about what the players were doing on the pitch, because we all know United have spent a similar amount of money, similar wage bill over the last few years. The resources are very similar in terms of what's available, but just how they're being used is just completely world apart. Different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, worlds apart. So, they are they are terrible. But just the fact that it was like Guardiola just went, okay, while well, we're doing this, and obviously because they've been working so hard for five or six years on the training ground, that the players were like, okay, yeah, fine, and they just did it for ninety minutes, and it was just, it was it was embarrassing for United, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, um, like, so- it was a
0: shame. It was a shame, really, that City didn't get at least if they'd have scored three at the end. I've made that Yaya Toure comparison before, you know, when he scored at the end of the, the 3-0 win against Moises United and it was like, right, this golf's huge. Like, it felt like if they'd have got another one of those, it, it would have just been at least at more towards what they deserved. But it was a it was absolutely dominant that game.
1: I, I was going to say, was it, was this city's most dominant win at Old at Old Trafford? You know, scoreline apart, because obviously the 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 big scoreline six one, they, they were they were they battered United that day, but they weren't dominant for ninety minutes like they were on Saturday.
0: I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I suppose in the, a pure footballing sense, in terms of United not being able to lay a glove on them. Probably, because I'm also thinking back to that one in December 2017 when Mourinho was manager and United won there. It went um, clear at the top and obviously that wasn't the end of the title race, but the gap was huge by that point and that was very dominant as well. Um, and there was the, um, what was the one when, was it Zecco scored after like 40 seconds?
1: Yeah, that, that was the 3-0, the Pellegrini. I um, oh, was at 3-0,
0: yeah. right. Um, I've not been able to tie together at the start at the end of that game. But um there, there, there have been so many but I th- maybe it's just recency bias or maybe it's because of the hype around it but it does feel like it's it's one of the most dominant but also not just in united games because like you say you mentioned the 6-1 and we could mention you know liverpool beating united 5-0 the other week or even when you know when arsenal beat spurs 3-0 about three or four weeks ago and you know carrigo on monday night football said oh you know there was no midfield plan and this is how they did it and tottenham were terrible and obviously, it was one-sided. And Tottenham don't have many shots generally, and didn't that game. But It just felt like, again, it's, it is a cliche, but training exercise does do it justice. That's what it did feel like, uh, but not a particularly competitive one. Yeah. Because again, when I was trying, when I was trying to think of the analogies, you know, because men against boys was another one, but I was thinking, City's boys. You know, to be fair, the EDS they're not getting on too well at the minute. But you feel like City's EDS would be better equipped to play against. City's first, first team, team than United yeah. were in terms of a plan in terms of a plan and knowing what's going to happen and, and knowing how to play out from pressure and and um to kind of try and stop attack yourself when you lose the ball by being in the right positions because it's all the same coaching as the first team obviously there's just a, a difference in international experience which is obviously vast um, but yeah there is an argument for it to be one of the most one-sided big games in Premier League history you can't just start you can't just start really going into games in general because, you know, I remember Chelsea beating Wigan like 8-0. Yeah. Obviously, City have had loads of massive wins and I suppose even United beat Arsenal 8-2. So it's difficult, but I think I think it's difficult because, again, it's a new way of looking at games and understanding games and that that is something that you only get with Guardiola.
1: Yeah. This um, way
0: that you can dominate a game like that, but it not be 10-0. Like, and another well, yeah, another
1: impact of, of of Guardiola on the Premier League, Sam. Um, this yeah. weekend, City became the te- the Premier League team with the most passes ever. Um, yeah, and that's that that that's you'd say that's not surprising given that who they've got in charge. But they were out of the Premier League between ninety six and two thousand, and then out of it again yeah. for a year after that. So they've had what four or five years out of the league, and they've gone and they've gone and topped t- top the chart for that. So that uh, that's another yeah. um, kind of Guardiola and also, effect.
0: If, you, if you're talking about averages. Like they'll average a load now, and what was the start of the weekend? They played the most passes at Old Trafford of any away team, seven hundred ninety-three or something. But so obviously the average is huge now. But there would have been plenty of times, and I'm not even just talking, you know, the
1: Stuart season. the second half of the Stuart
0: Pearce season, yeah. But not even that. But like even like the Sven teams or whatever, the Mark Hughes teams, where the passes would have been just bog standard for a Premier League team, just nothing terrible, but nothing out of the ordinary. So to do that, I mean, again, you need you need the success to show for it because I can, I could imagine Arsenal. I don't know who's second actually, but I wouldn't be surprised if City overtook Arsenal there, but you could say, Oh, well, Arsenal have got the most passes in the Premier League. here." was like, yeah, we've not won anything for 15 years. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well done that.
0: <laughs> so exactly. You've won the passing, but like, yeah, going hand in hand with what Guardiola's done in terms of the trophies they've won and the consistency. And even we know finishing second when they didn't win it, um, yeah, it really does go to show. But also, I mean, there is so much of a, a Guardiola legacy, and I'm sure we will talk about this when he eventually goes, but yeah. all, these, all these mid-table teams now, and this is a point we spoke about, but we didn't actually make after the Palace game, considering Brighton got points at Anfield that weekend. Um, I suppose West Ham now to a lesser extent, but the point I'm making is more about the style of play of these mid-table teams, like Palace and Brighton and Southampton. And it's a bit like... You know, when I was saying about, oh, Grealish has had a good start, you know, why is everyone going mad? And people are say, well, he's 100 million, so he should do this. People will say, well, City spent this and Liverpool have got this, so they should beat Palace, Brighton, blah, blah, blah. And I get the argument for that. But ultimately, these teams now are very sophisticated. They're very well-organised in terms of a coaching sense and what they want to do and in terms of pressing and organisation. And they won't just sit back. They're going to make life very difficult for you. And there might be an element of those big teams like City and Liverpool, not being especially comfortable with it. Or, you know, they're at least, they'd probably rather play against a team that sits back and doesn't counter-attack. Um, So this this mid-tier of teams now are going to make those kind of upset results more understandable. And it should no longer really be that embarrassing, for want of a better word, to drop points against teams like that who are proactive. And to go back to the Guardiola legacy thing, those teams want attack managers don't they yeah those teams want managers that that play football and you know are organized and have got a proper plan when they sit down in an interview they want to know exactly how they're going to play and how they're going to do it and I mean somebody could put up a cogent argument and say that's not due to Guardiola that's because of this that and the other but I think if he hadn't started playing like he did at Barca it wouldn't have it wouldn't have got the ball rolling and I think if he hadn't have had this success in the Premier League there's no way it would be like this. Because remember how it was in the mid-2000s? Well, remember how it was after in 2016. Greece, after Greece had won the Euros. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. But especially during after Greece won the Euros, like, everyone was going 4-5-1. Mourinho's teams were horrible to play against. They were great when they had Robin playing. United went to 4-5-1 with Van Nistelrooy up front. Like, you just follow the trends. And, you know, Guardiola set this trend. And I know, look, we'll get more into the derby, but everyone likes positive. City and Guardiola <laughs> propaganda, don't they? And they genuinely have changed the game in that sense.
1: Yeah. Um, well, back to the Derby then, Sam, because uh, th- can you believe this is the first league Derby that City have won since we started
0: this podcast? <laughs> wow. <laughs> when you put it like that, um, when you put it like that, um, it's a bit surprising. But no, you're right. And you said at the start, you started to get a bit worried about the season. And in terms of the Derby itself, it's funny because... You know, I'm not one for big predictions, and I'm also one for a million words when one will do. But talking about this with, with mates and various different people in various different contexts, and I, I could have seen three different results: so a draw, a win, and a loss, for say. <laughs> but the draw, the draw would have been nil-nil. Yeah, and it would have been like last season. the The defeat would have been.
1: It was absolutely nailed well, on a two-nil defeat, like, was, like, yeah. like
0: the one and like the one at the Etihad last season in in March, or or City winning easy you know i was thinking 3 or 4 nil, which was basically how they played at the weekend but those i couldn't make my mind up which one it was going to be because i thought city could look toothless and united could look really just difficult and organized and you know ronaldo scores a header from a from a from across or something or like luke shaw scores again on the break whatever something like that so yeah going into it i wasn't entirely sure how it was going to go um so much so that I put Cancelo on my fancy football bench, so that was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll come and, to him and shortly. At the, and, and at the very last minute, I put him behind Ben White as well. So I all myself out of him coming off the bench. So I really wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, because like you say, the, the recent record has been really disappointing for City. And it, it is really disappointing. It's a scandal, really. Because even if you just put it in this context of this is Solskjaer's head-to-head record against Pep Guardiola, you just think, what? Yeah. It's as bad. it's as bad as it sounds. Do you know what I mean? Like for, for this United to have got a better record over, over City is bad. But then I suppose it goes back to what I was saying about those mid-ranking teams. And that's not really a shot at United, although it kind of, kind it's of quite is quite telling. Because it was like I was saying the other week, you know, if you're Burnley and you're going to sit back and play on the counter-attack, Dwight McNeil on the break is somewhat of a threat. But it's not. Lucas and Son and Bergvine, like the start of the season. It's not Martial and Rashford and Lingard, you know, and it's not Neymar and Mbappe and Messi who can play on the break. It's if if you're going to play against a team with great players like Rashford and Martial who are fast and technically gifted, you know, they're they're not going to win the Ballon d'Or. But you know what I'm saying. And but also that team is willing to sit back and defend and break. It is going to be a problem. So I can see why the clash of styles has been a problem. But what I, I wouldn't say it was normal service resumed because you know Solskjaer and Guardiola hasn't always gone that way. But in terms of United and City over the last ten years, I suppose it was normal service resumed, and you can put this into the the pantheon of great Derby wins since yeah. I don't know twenty. Well. Two thousand and eight, I guess. Obviously, there's been a lot, um, but at oh, Old Trafford, especially since two thousand and eight, the Benjani one was a bit of uh, different circumstances, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. You well, know, Mancini and Pellegrini and Pep have got plenty to add to that.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Let's let's look at uh, the game itself because City had. I mean, it was it, it was startling. I think at times how much space City had, um, and I couldn't decide whether City were doing something differently or whether United were just not pressing them. And then the thought came into my head: like, do you remember the when Stones came off the bench against Palace, and he immediately got involved in the goal that ended up being um, disallowed. It was like, right, that's that's what City need to do. That's where that that's that's the kind of the pass that um, that unlocks this palace defense. Does does having stones in the back line change the way that City do their build-up? And did that does it does that kind of play into the reason why City had a lot more space in that derby?
0: Okay, well, I'm not saying this is the definitive answer, because I'm not certain. But I would say Stones had more of an impact in that palace game than he did in the United game because Palace made it difficult for City to play through and all of a sudden he was spotting passes that, you know, he's much better on the ball than Diaz is. Um, he's about the same as Laporte. He may even be worse on the ball than Laporte in a, in a very kind of high bar standard. Yeah. Um, but obviously Laporte wasn't having a good game. So I think he probably made more of a difference in that game. I think the main thing against United and that tactical, pre- um, tactical review that I mentioned, which was on my Twitter from Monday, um, help me understand it more. But it it's, it just seemed like City had just loads more options. Like in the first 15, 20 minutes, I seem to remember they played down the right a lot. Um, and he was in that space. You know where Walker plays? Um, normally if he's in the back three or when they've got the ball or basically just tucks in narrow, doesn't he? Yeah, To stop against counter-attacks and he's there. But De Bruyne was often there quite a bit. And basically De Bruyne was dropping away from their midfield. And I think it helps... From what Guardiola said afterwards, I think the clip's been doing the round on on Twitter, in terms of he was saying, when you're in the second phase of the build-up, their midfield three can't control the wide areas. So that's where we saw the switches of play coming in. But in terms of their midfield three, City, they had Gundogan, Bernardo and De Bruyne, which is an unbelievable (laughs) amount of talent. And obviously an unbelievable amount of game know-how. They were dropping in behind the... United midfield ahead of the defenders. And, you know, this tactical um, breakdown explains how like Gundogan and Bernardo would be like a false nine right up on the centre-halves. But then they'd drop in and they'd drop in so far that the center backs couldn't go with them. But the, the midfielders couldn't go with them. And then as this was happening, you know, De Bruyne was pulling off into a deep area to try and pull Fred out. And then Fred would have to go and then somebody would shuffle across. And then all of a sudden you've got that switch of play. Um, or you've, you've, got somebody in space. So the one who was the false nine earlier on has now dropped in and now he's between the lines, so he can get a pass. And all of a sudden he's looking at the United defense. He can play a ball in behind, or as we saw after the first 10, 15 minutes, I don't know. I don't know. Definitely if it changed it. I thought it did. Um, I don't know why it did if so, but there was a lot of switches of play then to Cancelo. And obviously that comes into the fact that, um, Foden and Jesus just stayed so high and wide. Um, Doing a job on the on the United fullback, so they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't support. So United just had a flat back five, and as I said, the centre backs couldn't go with City's false nines that were dropping off. So that flat back five were were just there basically. There were no support. they were no real use. And that, if you think about how City's midfielders there, the ones I mentioned uh, Gundogan, De Bruyne, and Bernardo, that's three, and you could say that's three against the United three, and one of them's bruno fernandez anyway which isn't going to give you a great amount of defensive protection but then you add rodri in you got walker in those kind of areas as well you got foden linking up when it gets to him but generally staying wide and same with jesus we've also got Cancelo now and with the fullbacks pushed back and the united's midfield three having to shuffle across and cope with with city's midfield three plus rodri no wonder city was switching the ball so often to Cancelo, and then he was just able to run it because you know He's so comfortable bringing the ball forward. In that Greedish article I did last week, I explained how, with the help from Man City Tactics on Twitter, he's had the most touches, the most passes, the most carries in the Premier League. Um, a lot of those in the final third as well. He, he's a playmaker in his own right. So yeah. you can just see, as far as Guardiola's game plan went, it probably wouldn't have, you know, it was hardly cracking the code. You know, there's the old overthinking thing, and is he going to do this, and is he going to do that? Because he... He's not trying to be too clever, but he's trying to come up with something because he's like, okay, we need something special here. But I mean, mean, the United team in that sense.
1: I was going to say, he looked at United and went, I don't really need anything that special. I'll just do this.
0: I know. It was, I mean, yeah, it could have been a, I was going to say, could have got one Maleo or anyone else to do it. But I mean, genuinely could have, you know, he he could have got one of the analysts to say, well, come on lads, you you can work this one out. But I'm sure they would have as well. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly, um, well, it wasn't it wasn't very difficult to unpack, was it? But one of the interesting things that I noticed during the game, and I think this is a wider point, and it kind of goes back to the derby last season, that, that poor nil nil. You know, when he didn't make any subs or he made one and it was really late. Um and also we were sitting there thinking, well United you know, have just gone out of the Champions League, they're there for the taking, they're really poor, go for it. And I had to try and understand. well, I had to try and understand and then explain afterwards that although it looked like a poor performance from us, Guardiola very much thought, well, that was the kind of game he wanted. Um, And he didn't make changes because the game was going how he wanted. And he didn't want to make changes to destabilize the the game and the team and and to have United score a goal on the break. So even though it was very negative, and it was very negative really by his standards because he was happy with how the game was going, but the game was going not brilliantly. Um, And they weren't creating a lot, but it goes back to what he said after the game because there was a couple of questions about the game at the weekend. They said, could you have tacked a bit more in the second half. And he said, we had to have more passes, I'm sure, as I'm sure everybody saw. Um, and just keep passing. And that way, there won't be a load of chances, but they'll be good enough. And that doesn't just explain the derby last season, the derby at the weekend. It ba- basically explains everything about how they're playing at the moment. It explains the Palace game. It explains the Southampton game. It explains how, when he was asked after the Palace game, you're not creating an awful lot of chances in some games. Is that the issue or is it taking the chances? But he said, no, look, we're we are, we're creating the chances. And there might not be a lot, but they're enough. So this is the way they are going to play. This is the way they do play. They pass it around. When I asked, you know, what why is that discrepancy? Why can you score four or five sometimes and sometimes none? He was, I don't know. But the only way we've got to do it is by keep doing the right build-up, doing the right move. And Klopp said the same thing. After Liverpool lost at the weekend, you just got to keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and the chances will come that way. And to go back again to the start of the podcast, how you said you were a bit worried about how the season was going, but now you know City look great again. Chelsea dropped points. Liverpool dropped points. There will be a podcast within the next few weeks, I would imagine, where we're coming on again and saying, is it the lack of a striker? Are they not scoring the chances? Are they not taking the chances? They're not creating them, Um, and that's. That's just because this is how they play. And it's easy to make this point now after it was so resoundingly successful after the United game. But this is how they're going to do it. They're not going to rush. They're not going to push for more goals. If it's nil-nil like it was against Southampton, okay, it was a very open game, wasn't it? And Guardiola brought on kind of decisive players. But they're not going to make too many structural changes and push because I think they might be worried about the counter-attack. So unless they know there's not going to be a counter-attack, there might be some games. Let's say Everton at home, for example. Um, or West Ham at home in a few weeks. Tricky. Um, yeah. It might get very difficult. And City might not be creating loads and loads, and they might not be making many subs. he will probably make a couple of subs, but not loads and loads. But he'll
1: look at it and go, and the chances the we're creating will, are enough. And people yeah. in the
0: crowd will be thinking, fucking get the ball forward, this is shit. But he'll be thinking, well, this is how we've got to do it. It might not be great. There might be a problem with the build-up. They might be pressing Rodri. They might be doing this, that, the other. We might be having an off day. But this is how we're going to do it. These are how the chances are going to come. And they might come once every 10, 15 minutes, but this is how they're going to come. There will be good chances, and then we're going to have to take them. And now, obviously, that will then bring us back to not just the number nine debate, but are the players clinical enough? Um, and I'm, maybe we'll get to Gundogan again, because yeah. Gundogan, I wouldn't say overperform, but he certainly... You know, he, he was a big part of City's resurgence because he was scoring the goals. And that touch, when City played that great move and then switched the play to him in the second half, and that touch was so poor, I was so disappointed because what a goal it would have been. Yeah. And he's so capable of doing it. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. And just to go back to the our expectations versus Guardiola's, if I was doing player ratings for that game, it, it's funny because we, and I think, oh, well, I've spoken to Nadem about this on the phone, and I think he's mentioned it on podcasts. It might have been on. It might be with us. The he, agenda one you
1: did. He, he, he hates. He hates player ratings. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's right. But also because players are being judged by what we see, but also, but ultimately, they're doing what they're asked to do. So, I looked at Foden the other day. So, bear in mind this context: United are crap. Foden's great. He was one on one against Wamba Saka. Loads. I've got Foden in my fantasy football team. I wanted to see Foden go past Wan-Bissaka, beat him, do more one-on-one stuff, get into the box, have more shots. But I noticed, definitely during the second half, I probably started to think this, It might have been during the first, but I was thinking, this is obviously what he's been asked to do. He's obviously been asked not to engage him, not to go one-on-one. And you can imagine Pep saying, don't go one-on-one. Maybe he'd say, because he's a good one-on-one defender, I don't know. But maybe he'd say, don't go one-on-one too often, because if he wins the ball, He's gonna be one on one against Cancelo. And look, okay, Wan bissaka going forward's not great. Cancelo going backwards, not great either. But he wouldn't want a one on one there. He wouldn't want to encourage them to break. So I can imagine him saying, You get the ball well, you stay high and wide, obviously. And one thing I really noticed watching the game on TV, the amount of times I kept checking in the box to see if Foden had run inside. Because even when City were kind of getting towards the attack in third, couldn't see Foden on the screen. He was so high and so wide, just couldn't see it. So Guardiola obviously said you stay high you stay wide when you get the ball use it give it back to somebody else keep the ball moving pass it don't run at him pass it and the chances will come because we will get you the ball at the right time yeah. and that was probably manifested itself in that chance he had in the second half again when the ball came to him and he had that shot that clipped the post you can just imagine Guardiola saying this is exactly what I want you to do today so this to go is back how again yeah, to, and this is
1: how you'll get you. the, the, the chance will come
0: this is a like trust me don't don't do what you might want to do instinctively. Do this, and you will get the chances, and you will score the goal. And obviously, if, if his finish had been better, then he would have. It is one of those where it's it's just funny. And I think we might refer back to this either because City drop points, or because they don't, or whatever, or maybe just because it's a point about how the media works and how we analyse games. Because I could have done player ratings, or I could have done an article saying Foden wasn't great there. was all that? You know, we'll need to see more of this from him. We'll need to see him. Taking on players like he did last season. Why isn't he doing this? Is there something going on? You know, is the contract talks dragging on? All this, you can misinterpret the game a million ways, but you just got to be open open minded to the possibility that they're being told very specific things. And as much as we want them to do something, they, they're probably being asked not to. And another thing was, I thought probably about half an hour, 25 minutes to go, he could bring Sterling on here for Jesus. Because I was thinking, obviously, he doesn't want to tear the game plan up and and get loads more goals. He does want to pass the ball around still. But I was thinking, and maybe I was too easily swayed by Sterling scoring that goal against Bruce last week. But I was thinking, with Sterling, you're still going to get the defensive work. He looks quite good on the right. Probably a bit of confidence from the other day. I I thought Jesus' impact had waned a bit and he could have done a bit more. And again, I was thinking, come on, you can get more goals here. You can really, you know, you can really... And it's, highlight uh, this golfing it, class. So I was thinking, get Sterling on because it's not going to change the game too much. And, it, you know, he, he, could, he could do something. But again, as the game went on, I was like, this is just what Guardiola wants, isn't it? He's not yeah. going to make any subs here. Like, this is working perfectly. And even if Jesus isn't doing... Again, it's exactly the same thing as I was saying with Foden, really. Jesus probably isn't having the attacking output that I would like to see from a team that could easily go and score more goals and is getting the ball in behind sometimes. But he's doing everything else and there's just no point in changing it.
1: You mentioned Cancelo earlier on as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I uh, maybe I need to apologise to him for last week's podcast suggesting that he may need to sit out a couple of matches. Because since then, he's gone and got uh, four or five assists, depending on how it's judged. Um, You've said it a few times yeah, yeah. already. Um, you said it there in the Wamba thing. Um, not maybe not not the best defensively. There was a couple of dodgy yeah, well, it's moments. Not easy, it's no, 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 it's not. But there was a couple of dodgy moments early on at Old Trafford um, where there was one, I think, where he touched it for De Bruyne and De Bruyne wasn't there, uh, and it almost set United away. There was one where um, I think De Bruyne came back again and and ended up booting it back to Edison and um, and, and getting it safe. Um, but again, created both goals, three assists uh, against Bruges as well. Um, his his impact at the at the top end of the pitch is in a game like that. It's so worth it, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and I, part of the Grealish thing last week was people around him. It's not a problem, but they're like, oh, he needs to work out how to work with Cancelo because obviously, not only is Cancelo not overlapping like he's like Grealish has been used to, but he's basically doing Grealish's job, like Grealish and Cancelo seemed to have the same job, the same responsibilities. But And you can imagine Cancelo being in the left wing position and attracting all the, all the attackers to him and Grealish being on the corner of the box and getting the ball back and putting a cross in. You can imagine them doing the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, um, again, I was speaking to Ladum after the game and I, I came downstairs and a rerun of the game was on and I said there was a spell where Cancelo, probably in the 15 minutes before the second goal, he was just he was doing daft things with the ball. And that's my issue more than the not great defensively. Because I mean he's 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 better defensively than it was in his first couple of seasons. And he's had games when he's done very well defensively. Yeah can Liverpool at home last season, early on, it was around this time of year actually, not November the eighth, something like that. Um he did very well then. But um it's it's just the use of the ball sometimes, but it's not I mean, and I might be wrong, but it's and again, and maybe we're highlighting too much of, you know, one player's flaws when there's so much good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of that. But um, there's a lot of players where it's De Bruyne and you go, okay, well, he's trying to force things. So obviously he's losing possession more often. And, you know, obviously if, if he's trying to throw ball, it's going to run off the back of the pitch or it might get cut out. But, you know, it, it's overall it's a net positive. And it is still a net positive with Cancelo, obviously. But it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like when he gives the ball away, it's always because he's trying to do something that's going to you know, be a key pass or open the defence up. It just does mad stuff sometimes. It just gives the ball away stupidly. And that's why I can't get my head around. I tweeted something about it earlier in the season. It might have been the Southampton game. It might have been something else. And that's why he lost his place in some of the Champions League games. Because I remember there was a, a passage to play against Dortmund at home in the Champions League when he got the ball. And I swear he just looked up and he was like, right, well, I can play this simple pass here. And he's like, nope. And he just kind of like <laughs> scooped it out towards Walker and just mishit it. And Dortmund had a chance to break and I was just like, well, why did he do that? And and I was like, I'm sure he's going to lose his place now for the second leg. And sure enough, Guardiola put Zinchenko in. And there, there was, there was one. So when I came downstairs and I put the game on again and I'd been talking about this weird period he had between setting up the goals he was inside his own half and he just banged it across the pitch and it was about 15, 20 yards behind De Bruyne, I think it was, and just went out of play for a United throw. Yeah. I was like, it was just such a weird thing to do. Like, and, and like I say, I'm, I'm dwelling on this because it confuses me rather than because I think he should be taken out of the team because he's overwhelmingly in net positive. I think what he does, not just in this game where he's got loads of space and he can be another playmaker and a danger man, but in other games where, you know, he's got it much more difficult. He's an incredible player and, we're talking about him doing all this stuff, you know, passes, chances created, carries, touches, all this involvement. But last season, when he did it, and he was kind of revolutionising things, it was that right back pivot attacking midfielder thing, which nobody had ever done before. And now he's just doing it as a bog-standard inverted left back, which I wasn't too keen on last season. And to be fair, I think in that setup, it didn't work so well. Now it works better, and he's he's a better player. Um, he it's he's, it's remarkable what he's doing
1: especially if he's going to cross the ball with his left foot as well.
0: Well yeah, exactly. I, I read a I read a report that said it was like a swinging dip in cross. I was like you, I was like that was the a bog standard player using his weaker foot putting all of his weight behind it just to make sure it went <laughs> in a straight line cross. That was all it was, wasn't it? I might, I might be doing him a disservice, but that was all it was. There was I'm... there was nothing more Magical to it. Then now, for, for a man who knows how to put plenty of swaz on his passes, whether it's with the inside or the outside of his right boot, there was nothing, nothing fancy there about was it. nothing no, it was, about yeah. that pass with his left foot. He, he just, he just stood the ball up. And I just loved your Bayou tweet that, the
1: that, that that what what Fox United defence was that they just weren't expecting it. It wasn't in any of the handbooks.
0: No, it wouldn't have been, would it? Like they been like, right, well, when he gets the ball here, he's gonna, he's gonna do something mad with it. But yeah, like I know we dwelled on it, and people are gonna think we're being overly harsh, and no, I'm not. I'm just dwelling on this side of the game because it freaks my nut more than anything. Like, why does he go through those spells where he just tries a really weird passes? <laughs> especially like, especially because we just talked for 15 minutes about we know what the game plan was. We know the the game plan was a a thousand passes right until the end. Don't give United anything on the break. It was just so weird how he does that. But I suppose it's probably you know he's improved so much to the to the point where now he's this you know ridiculous fullback weapon either on the right or the left. And I'm sure that'll be something because it's just a little decision-making thing. Maybe it's something he'll never he'll never leave, but it's very weird. But yeah, in yeah. terms of him needing time out of the team. And me, I always say I still like Sinchenko and I'd like to see him more often. And I will like to see Sinchenko in a lot of games. But when it comes to these matches now and you're doing predicted 11s, you can't believe in Cancelo out. Yeah. you just can't be. I don't yeah. think he's, he just bring, he just brings far too much.
1: Um, Bernardo let's talk uh, briefly about him he got the second goal uh, can I just say as an aside Sam I absolutely love a goal where nobody knows it's gone in for a good couple of seconds That, that, yeah. that so, some of them are, the, 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 the ones that are greeted by absolute silence because the away ends at the other end of the pitch and they can't yeah, tell yeah, what yeah. the ball's gone in fantastic love that one that well,
0: well it was great but it was great I'm sure even on TV as well I don't know how people who would have been up and celebrating or watching it in pubs would have felt as well because I was watching it with my wife and I, because it was one of those where I, I was like, what's going on there? And I just looked at the ball. I was like, well, that's my eyes are telling me the ball is on this side of the net. <laughs> I just went. I just went. So I went. That's gone in. She's like, oh yeah. And, like, and obviously, like <laughs> went because that like, kind of happened with you as well. You were like only the guy who scored it, but then you realized yeah, as well from the replay if, if, that even it was now. on the other side of the net, and he was like, he must have gone through the same process as me. He looked at it like that ball's on the other side of the net. <laughs> that's a, that's a goal. It was it was very weird, wasn't it? Like this, the thought process of. Because it, it must have looked like, well, that ball can't go in from there. The ball is in the goal. Hang on a minute. That, that,
1: must, that must be that, a goal. That, it must be an own goal. It must be an own goal. Oh no, I've scored. Or just whatever <laughs>
0: it was. Well, the, also the thing was, I think I tweeted it as well. I didn't expect any City player to make that run. When Bernardo f- floated that pass, I just thought, well, no one's making that run, are they? But that's that's the beauty of the Bernardo Silver. Really, uh, somebody might have replied with that, and um, you know, he's the only one, really. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, maybe maybe it's not the only one because in terms of the sense of getting in the box and making runs to score goals and you've got Gundogan and you've got Foden to a lesser extent. But maybe it's just that that never give up, battle get on the end of everything ability that Bernardo's got this season but particularly in the Derby games because he's just, well, you say Derby games. He was he like lo- it at Anfield no, he, as well, he, wasn't he? He was like it at Chelsea as well. Yeah,
1: he loves an occasion.
0: Yeah, he does. He really does. That, that probably explains it. You know, just that people might have given up on it. And the United defenders obviously did. I think De Gea had no idea. I thought, no, no one's getting on the end of this. And he just, he just went the extra mile basically, didn't he? And yeah, he's brilliant. And I've saw, I've seen he's given interviews to to City and, you know, what are you going to say when you're interviewed by the club and stuff? But he's saying he's happy and all this kind of stuff. Obviously he's not going to go too deep into why he wanted to leave. And he probably will one day, whether he stays or not. Um, but... It's what I wrote in the summer. You know, Guardiola would want to keep him in an ideal world because if he doesn't go, he's not going to be a dick. He's not going to mope around the training ground to bring the atmosphere down. You know, he's going to give you everything. And, he's going to run, and, mean, run
1: and run and run. And, I mean, you know, and we're seeing that so yeah. often. I
0: mean, there's there's not much more you can say about Bernardo. And I don't want to waffle too much. He's just, it has been phenomenal really, hasn't
1: he? Have you seen his reaction to uh, leaving the ground yeah. with, a, with a bit of
0: abuse? <laughs> I mean, I was watching that and I was like, these fuck. who are these people? Like, What are they doing? And I've, I've seen the point made on Twitter, like, You've just been absolutely schooled. It's raining. Like, what are you what are you doing hanging around yeah, after the game? And go on. It's weird behavior. <laughs> but I mean, it is weird behavior. But just like, it's just the just the abuse and, but also like, the thing is, some of the United players are walking out then as well. And obviously, there's there'll be a bit of a rivalry between the United players. But I dare say, United players and City players have got more in common with each other than the United fans. And the players and the city fans and the players. Because some of the United players are walking out and the city fans are going, Yeah, fuck off Ake. Like as if anyone's asked about Nathan Ake, like enough to abuse him. And then in the next breath, Aaron, Aaron, come over. Like they will just be thinking, Well, it'll be me next. <laughs> like like just the mentality of it I don't get. But also I did like I did enjoy Bernardo's reaction. Because if it was me, fucking hell, I think one of the city coaches or I d I didn't recognise him. One of the staff, I think he put up two fingers, like yeah, two nil lads. I, I, I'd have, I'd have definitely waved. I'd have definitely waved <laughs> and like really sarcastically, like all right, lads, because like what are you doing? Like, you've, like you've just been absolutely turned over. Are you trying to mug us off? What are you doing? Like if they'd, if they if they'd won, you'd just keep your head down. You'd be like, okay, yeah, you're giving us shit. We lost, fine. It's a derby. That's it. But why are you doing? So I did, I did enjoy the fact that Bernardo did that. But I just, I just wished somebody had given a bit back and. Yeah, I'm glad they did because obviously it had it had a great effect, didn't it? Because they were like, "Fuck off!" Not like, really living. <laughs> like. Yeah, it like- drives it drives me mad. It drives me mad when. When any team scores a goal and all they're doing is celebrating. They're not even they're not even rubbing their noses in it and everyone's just standing up going, Fuck off. And I know there'll be loads of people listening to this. That is you. But I just don't get it. Like they're they're not they're not even taking the piss out of you, they're just doing their fucking job. They're just celebrating a goal. But obviously I don't get fan culture anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're getting old, mate. That's what the problem is. Um yeah. I, I want to finish this week's show, Sam, with uh, a little bit of a look at the Premier League picture. It's uh, eleven games in, just under the third of the season, gone. Um after this international break, we hit that long slog through through the winter that we uh, that where, where things start to take shape um we've talked a little bit about dropping points and uh, dropping points against uh, the uh, teams like palace and and, and southampton uh, 10 points dropped so far seems possibly a little bit more than, than than we would have expected um but they have got spurs away Leicester away chelsea away liverpool away united away done and dusted yeah. um 50% of the drop points came in those games um it it kind of feels like as you were talking about before we're gonna do we'll we'll probably end up doing a podcast in a a couple of three four five weeks time of what happened there then it feels like everybody's kind of having one of those seasons in that sense and my my kind of fear that Chelsea might just get the job done and run away with it is I I don't know it it feels a little less kind of certain now that they've dropped points again this Hmm. weekend and
0: well of course because like I said before, when we did the podcast before the PSG game with Nadem, I was like, as much as as much as you know, we we've got advanced ways of analysing games now, and we try to take a, you know a more detailed view or whatever. We we're, we're only ever influenced by the last result. Yeah, I, I was I was supposed to do a Premier League preview thing on Thursday, um, and they were like, you know, is it is it important for City to win this game? Because if they lose, they could be eight points behind Chelsea and it's like, Right? That yeah, that is important. But I was like, don't. I was like, just because Chelsea win all the time now, they, they will drop points. Like it, it's going to come, and even if it hadn't been against Burnley, it's going to come. But the thing is, this feels like everyone's having it. Like I saw some of the 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 analysis of the Chelsea game. What can you do? Like they created loads of chances. Um, it was a smash and grab draw. What are you going to do? You're not going to win every game. Um, it's disappointing, but yeah, okay, it's going to happen. I I'd still be a bit more worried that Chelsea are that solid. That they're not going to concede many goals, and it's just a question of whether they've got the firepower. Because obviously Lukaku's injured, and he wasn't necessarily scoring beforehand anyway. Um, and I looked, at, I looked at their chances at the weekend, and I thought, in fact, some of the ones they they missed were more excruciating than City's ones because it was like you've just got to pass that. Yeah, and which obviously isn't the issue City have normally have, is it? It's, you've got to take a shot on. So it was very <laughs> different. But you you think about their attacking options and. While they've got a lot of potentially very good players, obviously Havertz is Havertz is good, but I don't think he's. I could be wrong because I don't see them enough. I don't think he's performing as much as I expect. Like Pulisic, Ziyech, um, players like that. I think that they've not got loads and loads of goals in them, have they? So maybe they'll be similar to City in the end, and maybe it will be similar. Um, Liverpool. Liverpool. I Liverpool, I James, Liverpool. James Pearce's to- take on it. And I was asked a question on a podcast the other week about are Liverpool too open? Because this was just after they'd lost, to, uh, sorry, they'd drawn to Brighton. And I was like, look at their results. I was like, they've had a 5-0, a 4-0, a 3-0. I was like, okay, they drew 3-0 with Brentford. And they, I think, did it, was it a 3-2 when they beat Atletico Madrid? And I was like, eh, maybe. But to be fair, it, the you know the analysis in Liverpool circles does seem to be that they're too open. But again, I was thinking, you, 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 you're worrying too much about this. Maybe I'm wrong, but they've just won... Well, they've been unbeaten twenty five games.
1: Yeah, but two, two. Chelsea, wins, Chelsea were,
0: Chelsea two were win. looking really, really difficult to beat, and they still are looking really difficult to yeah. beat. They drop points. Okay, I, I feel like there's a bit of overreaction there, and I guess, I guess it's the same with us when City drop points. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, let's Well, let's look at at the other side of it then as well, Sam, because uh, City are currently the lowest scorers in the top four, which is not something yeah, that you yeah, would yeah. expect that often. Um, City in 22 no. goals, West Ham 23 goals, Chelsea 27, Liverpool
0: 31. Um, I do think it's a worry still.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say that we always have this talk about the striker. It's, it, it's the goals that are the problem, not the missing striker, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, a striker would help, obviously, but it would also help if... Oh, I don't know if Foden scored 15% more, if De Bruyne scored 15% more. If you know if Gunderwind's Gundogan, if going to score less than last season, then that's going to be a problem. Uh, it, it, it comes down to that. Marez has actually got a very good record, hasn't he? But just seems to be in Champions League games because the only games he plays now. And obviously, yeah. they're out of the Carabao as well. Um, it is a worry. And again, it goes back to Guardiola, what he said the other day. And I'll, I'll probably end up writing a whole article on this at some point if, if, it, if it becomes relevant. And if not, then I'll. Look. Well, it will still be relevant because they'll be taking the chances. And if it's become ultra relevant, it's because they're missing them. But basically, the way they're going to play is they're not going to create loads, but they are going to create enough to win the games. And then it just just comes down to taking them. So, look, maybe we preempted the next What Happened There podcast and there's not much more we can say. So, I mean, there will be those games and maybe that'll be the fatal flaw in the season. And ultimately, if City don't win the title by one or two points, then we'll probably say it was that. But ultimately that would probably mean that Liverpool or Chelsea have lost out by a couple of points as well, and they'll be saying the same. So there'll be little reasons for it overall in terms of where City are as a team. Um, I said the other week, it doesn't feel like, although well, it kind of does feel like 2019-20, but I feel like City are better. And basically, they're much more stable defensively. I don't feel like they're going to get done on the break. I know the Palace game, the Palace game looked like that, but... They forced a mistake. Fine, it can happen, and then counter attacks were always going to happen because they had ten men. So okay, what can you do? But overall, I don't think they're going to crumble when they're put under um, pressure from counter attacks. And overall, in terms of all the the underlying numbers, you know, the xG created, the xG against, there's, they're miles better than everyone else. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they're either going to win the league, and they may not. They may not even score the most goals this year, but they score the goals they need to, or they just miss out, and it probably will come down to the fact that they've created the chances, but and they don't
1: take them. them. Yeah, they—they. They, I mean, we'll have to
0: see. But I mean, they're still—they're still brilliant. They're still brilliant. And they, I mean, again, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But if that—if they don't win the league, but they are like basically like that, and they're just missing a few goals, it'll be interesting to see what the analysis is. Yeah, because you know whether it goes, oh well, City had a really disappointing season because they didn't do this. It, there's a load of pressure on Guardiola, or if it's just a case of they're really good. Liverpool were really good. or Shouts were really good, and let's see who they buy in the summer. Yeah, they, I I'd mean, imagine, that- I'd imagine it'll be that. But look, they might—they they could well win it with this. They could well win it with this. But I, I'm a bit worried about the—the—the. The, the, comparative lack of goals but um, well, I was just just
1: looking at a little I'm comparison a guess for...
0: all...
1: I was just <laughs> looking at the, a comparison for, for last season though because at this stage they've scored more goals than they had done at this stage last season but there was that that very distinct change last that season was bad uh, yeah um, they've also conceded a lot fewer um, they were uh, at this stage last season after 11 games they'd let in 11 uh, this it's it's practically half that this year it's at six and it's the second best defense in the yeah. league so that that's that could be the big difference again this season you don't need you <laughs> You don't do you need a remember lot of goals thing- if, you, if, you're, if you're squeaking tight wins, do
0: you? Yeah, would well, you remember the thing about 1920? Um, probably the most damning stat was, you know, obviously all chances, whether it's an average or each individual chance has got like an XG value. But do you remember on average, the chances that City were giving up were like the highest quality in the league. Yeah. So they weren't just giving up. They weren't just giving up a lot of chances, but they were like one-on-ones with the goalkeeper or like 12 yards out, because every time City, not every time, but very often when City had an attack that broke down and they got counter-attacked or they got played through, it would just end with a shot in the box, a really good shot. And that was the difference. That was why 19, that's why I couldn't quite put my finger on it the other week, but that's why it doesn't feel exactly the same because they are better. They're not going to let loads of chances like that happen. The Palace game was a bit of a one-off and Palace did very well. Um, but yeah, City, have, I think they're much more stable. And if if they don't, if, if they don't take all the chances, they've still got a good chance of winning 1-0. Because it's not like they're going to have to come back from one 0 down, two 0 down every week. Yeah. And I know that was the most recent example of when things went wrong, but um, I don't think that's going to be very common. Yeah. I really don't, because that was basically an, an error forced, and then you know it was just Laporte having basically it was Laporte having a bad day, kind of fucked it for everyone. As yeah. as basic as that sounds, you know. With, so, with sometimes that's what the answer is, is. Yeah, <laughs> and then the red card. You know, there was there was other things, but the red card that was it. Then basically, yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Why Always Us. Thanks to Sam Lee.
0: Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed. Worth the wait and all that.
1: Yeah. Um, Next week, we'll be back with an international break edition of the show and we're going to do some uh, unpopular opinions, aren't we, Sam? You've got, you messaged me with this, so I'm hoping you've got some gold. (laughs)
0: Well, I've only got one. Um, But the thing is, can you, um, like, if I start saying, oh, so and so shit, I don't like this. Just it's just going to be dragged up, is If ever I mentioned Cancelo giving the ball away in the future, and at and one stage six months ago I said I don't like the way Cancelo does his hair, people are just going to be like. <laughs> this guy's got an agenda so yeah um, I, I'll try and think of some funny ones but there there is one, one. that annoys me what? which will annoy other people as well that I've said it but we'll we'll get to that next week
1: we'll look forward to that um, if you've got any unpopular opinions uh, about City of your own then do tweet me at David Murnier you can tweet Sam as well at Sam Lee uh, and we'll get discussing them on next week's show uh, in the meantime don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount by using the code MANCITYPOD
0: The Athletic